Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hi, everybody. I'm Dave, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Dave. And uh, I've been sexually sober since August 1st, 1985. I was just, uh, that's 30 years, three months, and just under a week, which, <laughs> it's, imp- that's, it, you know, it's, um, that is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. That is mind-blowing. And, you know, like, like Carvey, my sponsor, says, uh, all I had to do was stay alive and stay sober for 30 years. And, uh, and that's pretty much is the way it's been. You know, it's, it's, I'd like to say, you know, I found the magic formula. Um, I've just been very fortunate. Um, and I've, the best I could, I've tried to work this program as, as, as you know, as, as well as I can. And for me, the, the definition of the program is working the steps with a sponsor in a fellowship of sobriety. So for me, that's, there are really three important components there. Um, I, have, I have to continue to work the steps, which I have to say, when I first came into the program, was a real, seemed like a real mysterious concept to me. Um, the second one is doing it with a sponsor, which you know, again, is not something that I would choose to do naturally because, you know, authority f- uh, figures threat- threaten me and scare me. Um, and then doing it, in a, it with a group of people because, that's, again, that's not something that comes naturally, even though, uh, you know, growing up, I always wanted to belong and never felt that I... You know, that, that, that line that says, you know, our insides never match the outsides of others, that was me. You know, I felt like everybody else got it. I didn't. And they knew something that I didn't know. That's, that's, I always felt different. I always felt less than. Um, and while I wanted to be part of the group desperately, um, I didn't know how. And uh, so, you know, I have to say, when I hear people talk about working the program, you know, my, the hackles go up because my sense is they're talking about coming to meetings and talking, and uh, um, that's not that's not the program. You know, coming and being in fellowship is part of the program, uh, but that's just one part. You know, I've got to do the steps. I've got to do it with the sponsor. You know, I, you know, I spent my uh, just a, a quick. Uh, I'm sorry for those of you who have heard this numerous times, but um, 
you know, I, when I came into the fellowship um, in Rochester, New York in 1985, uh, my first meeting was August 7th, 1985. Um, there were three other guys at that first meeting. Um, it, you know, I'd, I'd known that I was a, an addict for about a year and a half. Um, by accident, or though it seemed at the time an accident, um, I was home from work. I was changing jobs. I'd worked for uh, a large company all my life. They had sent me to college. I'd co-opt. I'd worked for them for um, going on 15 years. And I'd gotten married in Rochester, and uh, my ex didn't want to leave Rochester, and uh, I wanted to stay connected with her, and my career path was out of Rochester, so I, I left that company, joined a new company, and I was between, you know, I had quit one job, I had two weeks off before I started my new job, and uh, I turned on the TV one morning to, basically to get a lust hit. Uh, Phil Donahue was the, was the guy back then. Um, I'd grown up with him. He, he, he started in my hometown, Dayton, Ohio, on the radio, doing his call-in talk show. And by then, he had gone to TV. He was based in Chicago. And he was pretty well-known um, at that time. Uh, you know, and I turned it on because he had gotten, he had started, started down this path of being kind of racy. And I really turned it on to get a lust hit. You know, that was the way I was wired. And I turned it on, and uh, they had a guy sitting behind a, a smoked glass screen, so all you could see was his shadow. And he was talking about uh, hiding mac- uh, pornography, pornography from his wife and masturbating to it, and that he was addicted to it. And I said, oh, crap. <laughs> I had, I had no idea that I had an addiction. But as soon as, as, soon as he, you know, uh, I sat down, I watched that entire hour program. Uh, the thing I remember the most about it were, were the women in the audience, because he had primarily a, a female audience, uh, was all the giggling going on as, as this guy was describing what he was doing. And, uh, you know, the, the guy that was was there talking about the topic was a guy who had, who wrote a book. Uh, back then it was called uh, sec- Sexual Addic- Addiction. Now it's called uh, Out of the Shadows. And uh, so he was there talking about this topic of sexual addiction. And this was 1984. So it was, it was pretty risque. And, uh, but after that, I was, I was stunned by that revelation. And I knew immediately that that was me. Uh, the problem was, uh, other than the book, which I wasn't going to go into a bookstore and ask for, hey, you got sexual addiction? You know? <laughs> um, I, I honestly called a bookstore and, and disguised my voice. I put a handkerchief over the phone. <laughs> like, they were going to be able to track me down, you know? I was so ashamed. You know, I, you know, I felt immediately, you know, who, who could be addicted to sex? Um, and, and I really didn't even think about the, the fact that, you know, 
I wasn't alone anymore. Uh, that, that concept hadn't struck me yet, that you know, there were other people out there like me. I thought I was, you know, there wasn't anybody like me. So um, I kind of swallowed that. I changed jobs. And you, 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 know, you talk about life's big stresses. Okay, so I changed jobs after, after 15 years. Uh, you know, and that, at, at the time, it was the company that I worked for was Fortune Number 1. So it was a very big company. I had a very good career. So I left there. Uh, you know, I, I'd been married at that point by, for about four, four years, going on four years. Um, my my ex-wife wanted to buy a house, and so within um, probably within four or five months of getting the new job, we we bought a house with a thirteen and five eighths percent mortgage. It was a gorgeous house. Uh, so we were living the dream, you know, um, dual income, no kids. Great cars, beautiful house in the suburbs, and uh, about five months into the job, you know, my boss is is on my case. You know, by the, by five months into the job, I'm on my third boss. The guy that hired me is in another part of the company. The guy that's now my boss didn't know me from Adam. Doesn't like me. Uh, doesn't think I've got enough balls to do the job. Told me that on multiple occasions, and. Um, Started writing my case. I know I'm a sex addict, but I don't know what to do about it. I tried over that next year and a half to stop. Um, I, I probably ought to back up and say, too, that uh, a couple years before that, I had gone back to church. One of my friends had, a, had one of those you know, white light uh, spiritual awakenings and had shared that with me, and it got me examining my life. And... Uh, Recognizing that something was missing in my life, and so I had gone back to church. My 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 wife was a Roman Catholic; I was a Protestant. So I'd gone back to my church. She wasn't a churchgoer, uh, so I was going to church by myself. Um, you know, I began to have some stirrings about my addiction before I knew it was addiction because I, I was realizing that my thought life was really. You know, I sexualized every woman I saw. I rank ordered every woman that I knew. You know, if my wife died, this would be the one I would go after. Or if, if I could have sex with anyone, it would be this one first, this one second. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, I sexualized every woman I saw. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, beginning to draw some conclusions about where I was in my life. That, uh, you know, I, I had this thought life that now wasn't consistent with my spiritual values realizing that I had a real difficult time controlling it. I remember one night at the bowling alley, you know, we had a, we were, uh, I was in Rochester, New York, so they, they bowl from September to April because it's, there's snow on the ground. So, so you bowl for nine months out of the year, practically. <laughs> and uh, so we had a men's league and a women's league from, a, you know, the company that I worked at. And, and uh, you know, I love Thursday nights because I could sexualize all the women, you know. And I remember one night going there and trying not to do that. And I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't not look. And that started away on me. Okay, so I'm having these thoughts. I, I can't control them. Um, 
at some point, you know, I tried to stop masturbation because once I found out I was an addict, I, I tried to stop that. Couldn't. Um, and then somewhere along the line had the awareness that it really didn't work. You know, no matter what I did to heighten the sensation or whatever, it just never satisfied. So, so I'm doing stuff I don't like to do, can't stop it, doesn't work, find out I'm an addict, try to control it on my own. Finally, after, you know, the boss is on my case, then my wife comes to me and, and says she's not happy. Um, th- that's when the, my world really, you know, that's when the bottom really dropped out. So, I'm, you know, my whole identity is wrapped up in my job. The guy's, I, I recognizing he's starting to set me up to fire me, and so I'm, I'm sensitive to that. My wife comes to me and told me that she's not happy. Uh, we start to get some counseling. Of course, I don't have any idea that any of this is affecting our relationship at all. Uh, so I don't talk about it because, you know, I was doing, you know, the sex was, was with myself. I wasn't cheating on her in my mind, uh, even though I was sexualizing and fantasizing. And every time we had sex, I'd fantasize, whatever. Um, so she finally walks out. And, and then, you know, I, I collapsed. I, um, I knew the boss was really coming after me by then, and, and I was, wasn't sleeping, wasn't eating. Um, she, she moved out, and I, and I realized if I didn't take some time off, I was going to get fired. And so I, I, I started getting some crisis counseling, talked the guy into giving me some time off, and so I could get my head together, and because and, uh, I realized that if I didn't, I was going to lose my job, and uh, and it was talking to him, the counselor, after a number of sessions where I was finally sleeping. You know, she had moved out. You know, we we had worked out a a, uh, a legal separation. Uh, we divided the property. We were selling the house. And uh, towards, towards the end, I finally got up the courage to say, you know, I think I got a problem with sexual addiction. Do you know anything about it? And uh, he said, yeah, I, I, I've got some place that might be able to help you. And he scribbled SA, box, PO Box 300, Simi Valley, California, slid across the table. They didn't have a clue what SA stood for. Didn't know what it meant. Had I known, I'm not sure that I would have written a letter. but. I wrote him a letter, said, I think I have a problem with sexual addiction. Can you help me? That's pretty much it. About a week later, uh, from CB Valley, it was, you know, SA was being run out of Roy's garage at that point in time, you know, Los Angeles, 1984 or 5. And he sent me a, the pamphlet uh, with the 20 questions on it. And, uh, um, you know, I identified immediately. You know, I broke down and cried. You know, the, I bought it, I sold it, I traded it, I gave it away. I was uh, addicted to the teas, the forbidden. Uh, the only way I knew, knew was to do it, you know, all that. That was me. Um, and, then, and that's when I understood about meetings. I didn't know what happened at meetings. This was probably in May or June. And uh, by then, I think we had sold the house but I didn't have to be out until July. And I didn't see a, a way I could even get to a meeting before I got the house sold. And um, so I was just kind of riding along, and finally the, the guy 
the only guy in the, the, the contact point in Rochester called me and said, "Hey, I heard you know, understand you contacted Central Office, um, you know, and you know we shared over the phone, and and uh, you know that's what it took to get me to that first meeting on August seventh, nineteen eighty five. Last time I acted out was uh, July thirty first, nineteen eighty five. Uh, I was having to." move out of my house the next day. You know, we closed on August 1st. And I didn't know anything else to do. I, I really didn't. And, and I wanted to, I knew the meeting was, that was a Thursday, the, the meeting was going to be the next Wednesday. And I didn't, I thought maybe if I had five or six days, that might be kind of cool to go to my first meeting. Or, you know, <laughs> I don't know. So I went to my first meeting, there were three guys there, or three other guys there. Vince, the guy that led the meeting, five months sober. Five months. You know, the best up until that time I could do was maybe two weeks of, you know, just white knuckle. And, uh, you know, I masturbated from the time I was eight years old, and I was 30, 32, but I was 33 the next week. So I've been masturbating for 25 years, and, and you know, sometimes multiple times during the day. And uh, this guy was sober for five months, and it was like, oh, my gosh. And there were, you know, three other, two other guys besides Vince, and their acting out behaviors was stuff I'd never even heard of. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, you know, one of them was going to an adult bookstore, and I didn't realize that people went to, you know, I was too embarrassed to go to an adult bookstore. <laughs> I loved the pornography that they sold there, but I was, but I was too embarrassed to go. And then I didn't realize that people were acting out in st- bookstores. I found out about it that night, and uh, but I was immediately, you know, this is where I belong. You know, this is absolutely where I belong. Um, you know, I, you know, I've told this story a million times, but you know, I never saw Vince again. Vince never came back. Uh, Vince was uh, uh, was flying down to New York City. Uh, back in the early 80s, there was stuff going on in the bathhouses down in, in New York City. And he flew down, to, he, he flew down, and he never came back. Uh, he was so ashamed, he put the box out on his front porch, and we had to go and pick it up. So now we were down to three. There were just three of us. Uh, but pretty soon, other people started calling. And we still, you know, to this day, they still do this in Rochester, New York. We were so paranoid that the press was going to come in and expose us that, uh, that uh, you know, we interviewed people before they came to a meeting. And we would meet them outside. We'd meet them at a restaurant or a coffee shop or someplace and just make sure that they, weren't, they were okay. So you had to go through that step before you came to a meeting, before we tell you where the meeting place They still do that in Rochester. You know, you know, when I came to Nashville, you know, it's, Doors are open, you know, we, we advertise, you know, where our meeting places, they still, they still do that in Rochester. Anyway, um, how's that get me to the 10th step? Um, so I started Rochester, went to Detroit, um, was there for a couple of years, came to Nashville in 1988. Uh, came to my first meeting in Nashville in 1987 because uh, I knew I was moving down here. And, and uh, when I moved here in 1987, there were two meetings in Nashville, uh, one on Thursday night and one on Saturday afternoon. And, uh, um, you know, I, I'm still in contact. 
one of the guys I met at that first meeting in, in 1987, I, I talked to probably three times last week. You know, he lives in Seattle, Washington now. But he was the first guy that ever called me at work, did a support call at work, and blew my mind, you know, that because you, know, you, you think about how technology has changed since I came in this fellowship. All we had were landlines, okay? So if you had to make a phone call, you, you had to, you know, you had to pick up a phone and dial it. You didn't have cell phones. Um, long distance cost a lot of money in 1984. I mean, they remember they, they used to bill you separately. You had your your home and then your long distance. And so, you know, you think about it. You know, most of us would would have spent any amount of money on our addiction, but when it came to recovery, man, I was a little tight. You know. <laughs> And I might have to spend some money to make some long-distance phone calls, you know? That's, that's going to cost me some money here. Um, so, um, and Judson was the first guy that ever called me at work, which, you know, I, I was a single guy every place that I went. Uh, you know, we ended up getting divorced, so I, I was single for a long time. And everybody always called me because uh, I was usually available. And uh, I was at home. And uh, so I got a lot of phone calls, but when Judson called, you know, I, I did it at night. I never called anybody at work. And Judson called me one day at work. He still calls me at work. Um, he's been doing it for 27 years. And, uh, and, and we had to develop a code, you know, a language, a code language, you know, because we, we, you know, we, are, we, we live in a cube farm, you know, so we had to talk in code. Uh, I'll talk, talk about that in a minute. So anyway, we've learned how to do that over the years. Um, you know, I've been here for 27 years. I was single uh, for 11 years. Got remarried in 1996. Um, have two kids. Um, I, I have a life that I, I never could have dreamed of without this fellowship. And uh, uh, thought I had everything all lined up. We had kids late in life. Had my first child when I was 44, 47. Got married, remarried when I was 44. Had my first child when I was 47. I'm 63, so I've got a 16-year-old and a 15-year-old. I, I got back to that. I got back to that uh, company after two years being away from it. Worked another 27 years with it, and then in, in 2009, I got. I got um, that you know our company went bankrupt, and uh, I was one of the fortunate ones that got to retire, but. I was 57 years old. I had a 10-year-old and an 11-year-old. And it's like, holy crap. And that's when I started doing my daily 10-step. It took me 24 and a half years. And it, it was like everything else in this program. You know, it doesn't, you, you work it when you have to work it. You know, I, there's, there's something, I, I've been looking for it. I, I, I know I've read it. It's either in the 12, I, I think it's in the 12 and 12, where it talks about, most of us don't want to work any harder than we have to. <laughs> and that's true of me. Um, so, you know, I, all these years, you know, I'd read in the 12 and 12, you know, at the end of our day, we, we reflect on, you know, the, the 24 hours before. And we, you know, we make a column of the good things and the bad things because surely anything that's written, you know, not everything's written in red ink. You know, I can almost recite it to you. But I could never figure out a way to do it. You know, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm tired. You know, I had, 
when you have kids late in life, you know, I, was, I felt like I was tired all the time, you know? <laughs> I mean, they're up at the crack of dawn, and they, they're wor- you know, you know, they want to spend time with you and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, at the end of the day, I'm tired. Um, so um, it wasn't until, and I can't, I, I don't know how many times I read it, but uh, I started reading through, uh, back in 2000, I had heard a guy say that he read a page of recovery every day. One page. I said, you know, I didn't like the guy, but I thought that was a great idea. <laughs> this guy scared me, actually. He was one of those big, he was one of the AA guys that, you know, can, can cite chapter and verse, page number, and, and he scared me. But I, I heard that piece of it, and I said, you know, I can do this. And uh, so I started reading. You know, I've read through the white book. I've read through the 12 and 12. Um, I've read through Step into Action multiple times. And it, I bet you after reading the 10th step multiple times, there, there's, a, there's a line in our um, Step into Action, Step 10, that says, find a time of the day that works for you. I had to read that multiple times, but it finally clicked. And so here I am in crisis in 2009. And uh, I went on vacation in June of 2009. My company had gone through bankruptcy. The president of the United States had fired our CEO. Um, our, Our division was up for sale. But it looked like there was a buyer, and it looked like I might be able to just transition from one company to the next. So I went off on vacation, thinking everything was fine. That was in June of 2009. Came back, and the first thing my boss says to me, uh, you're going to have to retire. And I said, what? He said, yeah. Um, the way this whole purchase thing is going to have to work is that you're going to have to retire, and then hopefully... You know, the new company will hire you. <coughs> oh. Um, okay. So um, that went on for a month or two, and, and by late July, um, the new company had come in, looked at the workforce that was left, and... Uh, I, I, I think it's probably a total coincidence, but just about anybody that was over 50 wasn't, wasn't going to be carried over to the new company. And now it was, oh, crap. You know, I'm going to have to retire, and I don't, I don't have a prospect for a job. So I started looking. You know, I immediately... Um, you know, you talk about, you know, this was a real test. You know, I've got a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, I've got a house. Uh, fortunately, my wife works. And, uh, you know, I'd work, you know, I had this great plan, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to retire from this company, and everything's going to be good. And it was at that time that the, I can find a time of the day, and I started writing about what was going on. And I, there was a formula in the... In the uh, Step into action that talked about um, writing my lust hits, you know, in the previous 24 hours, uh, writing the highs, the things that I did write. And I have to say, initially, 
Um, I didn't really understand that. It was just talking about all the good things that happened as opposed to what I did right as, you know, in, in terms of my character defects. Um, then he talked about the lows, things that, you know, things that, you know, if I had an outburst of anger or whatever. And then I added uh, a prayer. You know, if I recognized something that I needed help with, then I asked God to help me with that. So um, around September, some, September, October of 2009, um, I started doing that at lunchtime because it turned out I had some time at lunch that was un, you know, uninterrupted. I had I walked to the I walked to the uh, office supply cabinet, which was stocked full because you know we had gone from like 500 people down to 40, <laughs> so we had a lot of office supplies. And I pulled a steno pad out of the out of the uh, uh, cabinet, one of those spiral steno uh, tablets, and I started writing highs, lows, or hits, highs, lows, and my prayer. And um, almost immediately, I started seeing some patterns that I had never, never seen before. You know, I've been, I'm, at this point, I'm 24 years sober, um, and I'm thinking, you know, things are going pretty well. You know, I'm, you know, I've got a good marriage. You know, my um, doing pretty well with my kids. Although I recognize, you know, that I had some anger issues, but. They weren't that bad, were they? Um, but when I started writing them down, <laughs> that's when I started to see the patterns. I started seeing the patterns with the lust, you know, things that uh, things that I hadn't let go of, or uh, that I didn't really even wasn't even conscious of sometimes. Uh, but I be, now that I'm starting to write them down, I'm starting to remember things. And sometimes it wasn't until I actually you know, put the pen to paper that I actually remembered, you know, a set of legs that I saw from the previous day. And it, they, just, they just come back. You know, oh, gosh, I didn't realize I'd even done that. Um, so I began to uh, look at that. The, um, over time, I got a little bit more honest about, you know, I started focusing on the things that I was doing. You know, the highs became more of the things that I was doing uh, to further my recovery. You know, um, praying, you know, pr- prayer has always been, and I'm going to talk about that this afternoon. Prayer is, that was, you know, I didn't have a lot of people to talk to when I first came in. Um, uh, I... I was going to church, so I had a what I felt like a you know a, the beginnings of a spiritual connection at church. Um, but I I started praying. That that's how I initially recovered from lust was when I saw the lust temptation. Um, you know, Roy taught, wrote wrote an article called the Joy Response. Um, you know, when I was tempted to lust, I I, I turned it into thank you God, thank you for helping me know that I'm a sexaholic and that I can't live with the lust. You know, take it away. You know, God, may I find in you what I'm looking for in that person or that shape. Um, so, I, you know, the, the prayer thing was something that I'd always done. Um, but 
you know, what writing it down helped me see was, okay, maybe I need to be a, be a, a little bit more aware of, of my situations. And, you know, I'm, I'm real visual. You know, the, the kid that got me looking at pornography at age eight, um, you know, that's what I was drawn to were, were those pictures. And I'm still drawn to the, you know, those women, you know, the, that, that body type. Um, the, you know, I can still remember that first picture that I saw. And um, so, you know, my, my visual stuff, you know, I'm, you know, in my addiction, I was constantly scanning, constantly looking for a hit. And realize, you know, I'm now in recovery, I'm realizing that when I got a visual hit, I actually, there was actually a, uh, I think we're going to talk about this, I, actually, I could actually feel the chemical go into my system. It was like, it was, it was like getting a, a hit of, of drugs. Um, I get a warm feeling, you know, just, just from the visual. And so, obviously, you know, I've been relying on the visual stuff, you know, for a long, long time. And uh, uh, let me tell you, 30 years in, it doesn't go away. You know, it, it just doesn't. It's, it's still there. Um, so, you know, today I have more tools. You know, um, I, re- I just realized this morning as I was thinking about this talk that uh, I walk from the parking garage to the front door of the, of the company every day that I work at now, and uh, there's a little bit of an anticipation when I get off that elevator. What am I going to see walking in front of me? Or, and I, I just... You know, and I know when I see see that that you know I you know I say the prayer God bless her you know I uh, try to connect most of the time, not always I'm not perfect about that I I forget I'm I'm in my head I, usually I'm doing an affirmation when I walk through the door um, one of the things I do on the way to work is is repeat an, an affirmation. I'm beloved, or I'm a beloved child of God, and I'm usually saying that in my head as I walk in the office, and uh, so that usually helps me. But I have to admit that uh, uh, before I open the elevator, or you know, get off the elevator, uh, it, it, it it would be helpful for me to say, God, I don't want to lust after anybody walking in, you know, because you know when I entered the workforce 45 years ago, um, almost. The only women in the in the in the workplace were primarily secretaries, and there weren't that many of them. And now, you know, there are a lot more women. They're a lot younger. They have a lot more money. They buy nice clothes. It's you know, uh, in my addiction, I'd be in hogs heaven, or I think I was in hogs heaven because of all the all the things that I can look at. And so now I, I have to be a little bit more conscious of that. So, so in. In, in October 2009, I started writing that. Um, you know, I started keeping track. You know, I started trying to do that every day. And uh, that's become a really helpful discipline for me. Um, and then, you know, if you, if you read, um, you know, the 12 and 12, and 12 um, it talks in there about maybe doing an annual review of, of what you've written. And so, um, you know, I started doing that. I started, ta- you know, looking at my year's worth of hits, highs, lows, and 
trying to summarize it. And I, you know, that's where I started seeing the patterns. I realized that there were a couple people on TV that I was, you know, on the Weather Channel. <laughs> I don't watch the Weather Channel anymore because there were a couple women on there that I was turning on, and I didn't realize, you know, it's, you know, all I had to do was hear their voice. <laughs> you know, what's she wearing today? You know, the stuff that seemed innocent to me at the time, but I realized that. You know, I can't afford that kind of stuff. <laughs> I just can't. It's just not worth it. So, um, I, you know, I started cha- making changes based on the patterns that I saw. Uh, you know, I do stupid stuff like, um, you know, I'm tall. Uh, I w- it wasn't always that way. You know, I, I got my height very late in life. You know, when I went, when I went into high school, I was five foot two. Um, and so, you know, everybody remembers me as being really small and looking really immature. I didn't go through puberty until I was 17. So, you know, the locker room was a nightmare for me. It was, I was so embarrassed, and I was so humiliated. So, um, you know, I like being tall now, and uh, I've always been attracted to tall women. And, you know, I found myself... Probably sometime in the last year and a half or two years, actually kind of checking my height out against this attractive woman on the elevator. <laughs> it's like, you got to be kidding me. Um, but I had to surrender that. I had to tell my, tell my sponsor about that. And uh, yeah, I wanted to, this is one of the books I read every day. It's called As Bill Sees It. And uh, this, this, one, uh, this one really jumped out at me. I'm, I've read through this. Probably, I'm on my fourth read through it, and, I, and I, what I do is, is I read by by topic. So you know there are all these page references at the front of the book. So I don't know how many hundred there are 320, 330 pages in this book, and there you know some of these pages are referenced multiple times for multiple topics. But I've always read it through it by topic. I'm an engineer, so that's why I do stuff but I'm on character defects right now I think I'm on to my fourth time of reading through this book and this one uh, this one has always jumped out at me Um, and it's from the 12 and 12 page 60 so these are writings of Bill they're either from the 12 and 12 the big book AA Comes of Age or letters that he wrote or from the grapevine so there are multiple sources but this one's from uh, 12 and 12 page 60 Somehow, being alone with God doesn't seem as embarrassing as facing up to another person until we actually sit down and talk aloud about what we have so long hidden. Our willingness to clean house is still largely theoretical. When we are honest with another person, it confirms that we have been honest with ourselves and with God. Um, And then uh, the one I read this morning... Each of us would like to live at peace with himself and with his fellows. We would like to be assured that the grace of God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We have seen that character defects based upon short-sighted or unworthy desires are the obstacles that block our path towards these objectives. We now clearly see that we were making unreasonable demands upon ourselves, upon others, and upon God. Um, So, on an annual basis... Um, I, I look back through the year, and I look at the hits, and I, I just write a few pages about, you know, my, my experience with lust in the previous year, 
things where I, you know, I've seen improvement, you know, adjustments that I've made, things that I'm still, um, you know, still aware of or struggling with. You know, struggling may be strong, but things I'm still uh, tested by. And, uh, and then I talk about the things that I feel like where I've made progress and things that are, you know, where I need some help. And, and we kind of do a, so it's kind of like a mini four-step. And uh, I do my fifth step with my sponsor. And then we, you know, we talk about a game plan, um, you know, for the, for the coming year. Um, one of the things that I've been doing for several years since he suggested it is a, a gratitude list every day because, uh, you know, I, I tend to be pessimistic. My uh, wife calls it my sunny optimism. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Judson called me the other day, um, and, he get, and he was talking about a situation where somebody had called him and he, how he immediately, you know, developed like three different scenarios of addressing that situation. And I said, man, that's what I do. You know, um, I was, you know, my, my house was a crazy place to live growing up. You know, my dad was manic depressive, um, never knew what you were going to get when you walked inside the door. And I can remember opening the door and, you know, it's like the radar went out, you know, what's going what's to happen today? Is he, gonna, is he in a good mood? Is he in a bad mood? Um, so, you know, I've got this unbelievable, you know, I, I read body language, I read facial expe- expressions, and, man, it's, 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 it's threat assessment going on constantly. You know, that's the way I live. Um, so, you know, when I, I, I immediately think out, you know, all these scenarios of, you know, if, if this happens, then I can do this, this, and this, and, or if that happens, I can do this. So, you know, my mind's constantly... And, you know, it just helps me uh, when I find myself in that state to just, you know, take the deep breath and, you know, just, you know, I turn my palms up and say, God help me. You know, please, you know, I, I pray in my daily meditation, you know, I ask God for intuitive thoughts and decisions, uh, for the willingness to relax and take it easy. That's in step uh, 11 uh, in the big book. Um, and that, you know, help, you know, and they come, you know, the intuitive thoughts and decisions. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I do my, I, I do it on a spreadsheet naturally, you know, at my desk. <laughs> so that way I can count my 20 items. And, more, you know, sometimes those 20 items really, it takes, you know, and I, I've just discovered that on Excel, uh, if you, sometimes when you type a word, it'll fill in the whole 20 items for me. Because you know, I've I've typed that I've typed that gratitude in before, because you know I regularly put my family as one of the things I'm grateful for, and then like 18 items, boom, you know. So if I if I want to cheat, I can just go enter and boom, it's all filled. I'm done, you know. And some days that's the way I feel, um, but it's when I, you know, take the time and think about all the all the. You know the good stuff that's happened to me and in, in my life. Um, you know it uh, it really helps. So I haven't done it yet this year. You know every year it's gotten later and later. I usually try to do it around the, you know my sobriety birthday is August the first, and here it is uh, November the seventh, and I haven't done it yet. I've been thinking about doing it, 
And surely if I have it done before the conference, then I will be a good guy. <laughs> um, but I haven't made it. We've had a lot going on. And, uh, but I, I intend to. And uh, it's, it's a great exercise for me. And I, you know, I do it with other people that I sponsor. And it, you know, I, I, they, they think it's good for them, too. So you know, it, uh, I would suggest not waiting 24 and a half years to do yours. Um, and, and it's something you don't necessarily have, have, have to have completed all the other steps before because um, I look at this as, you know, the, doing your, doing your um, fourth and fifth steps the first time around is, is pretty significant. And that's, you know, in my 30 years in the program, that's where most people just stop. You know, most people get to that fourth step and they just stop. Because it, and I, I was, you know, I, I'm reading through the uh, AE book, big book right now, and I'm in member stories at the back. And, and the one that I'm reading right now, um, the, the, the woman talked about when she read um, that she would have to make amends to all the people that she hurt. She said, I can't do that. And uh, Dr. Bob said, You don't have to today. Today, let's, let's, let's worry about you know, what's the priority today. And, uh, uh, because I think that's the way most of us are. You know, we always read to the front and say, how do I get to the end? And uh, you know, thinking about uh, making amends to people that we've harmed is, is pretty mind-boggling. And it's, you know, it's, it's almost paralyzing. And, and um, so doing my 10th step today um, Helps me not build up all that all that baggage. You know, if I clean my house today, and I, you know, I, particularly with my kids, um, I make end up having to make regular amends because they know how to push my buttons, and um, I'll blurt something out, I'll threaten them, or I'll, I'll do something, and uh, you know, some of you know, occasionally they'll, Dad you know if you say anything more, you'll end up apologizing to me. <laughs> so it's like, make my day, you know. <laughs> and sometimes that actually stops me. It does. <laughs> but not all the time, you know. And then I'll go back and say, you know, I'm sorry I raised my voice with you. Um, and I said those unkind things. So, um, you know, many times just... It does help me to, to, to bite my tongue and, and not think about having to say more. So um, it's been that that has been probably uh, one of the single best things I ever started to do in this program. Other than you know work them through the first time. Yeah, you know, I didn't start working my steps until I was over four years sober. You know, I didn't get a sponsor until I was four years sober. I wouldn't recommend that. You know, and the the circumstances were such that you know it seemed like wherever I, I went, I would you know I was the guy that had the most sobriety. You know, when we started in Rochester, I was only in Rochester another four or five months. Moved to Detroit, there was no SA meeting in Detroit. Um, I ended up having to start some meetings up there, and so I was always. And then when I came to Nashville, you know there was Judson and Harvey, and and Jut, uh, Harvey was the only person that had more sobriety than I did. And it took me a year to ask him to be my sponsor, you know, so it took a while. Um, so I, by the grace of God, I'd stayed sober by doing one, two, and three without a sponsor. But I, you know, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. Um, so you, know, you don't have to be perfect to do this. Um, you know, my perfectionism 
stops me a lot of times from, from doing anything. So I've talked enough. Um, we've got, we've got f- 15, 20 minutes if people want to share. And, I, you know, I, I don't know if Marcus is out there monitoring this, but I suppose if, you know, we could, we could ask questions or if people just want to share, we can pass the mic around. You want to do, do it that way? Or what do you think? As a chairperson of the conference, I'm. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Uh, does they, does anybody want to? Should we do? Does anybody want to ask questions? Um, so I'm. I'm sure. Bill, Hey, Bill. What you said about Excel, X, not exhale, Excel. Uh, you type in one letter and you get boom, a whole lot of extra things automatically filled in. Uh, flash through my mind. That's the way our brain chemistry works, too. Yep. That's why we get triggered and why we give in to our triggers. Um, because we do the same thing over and over and over and over, and which is what you did with Excel. Why it remembers, oh, most likely he will want all these things. Yeah, yeah. Boom, there it is. Well, I'm glad you said that because, uh, you know, I talked about Judson and I talking in code. And one of the things we recognized earlier in our conversations is what we call the ricochet thought. And then we, we nicknamed it ricochet rabbit. And then it became bing, bing, bing. And so I, you know, I'll pick up the phone. And, and what I mean by that is I have this thought that goes to that thought that takes me back 35 to 45 years at a picture or a situation. Um, you know, my therapist suggested I have post-traumatic stress disorder because, you know, I have flashbacks, you know, things that happened in my childhood. Um, and my sense is that those pictures, those things that are burned in my brain, came at a time when I was under a lot of stress. And I, you know, I went to those pictures, you know, for relief. So I'll pick up the phone. You know, Justin will call me. I, I know his, you know, we've got caller ID, so I know it's him. And I'll pick up the phone, and he'll go, Bing, bing, bing. And I'll know it immediately. Or he'll send me an email and say, Ricochet Rabbit. And I know exactly what he means. You know, I had one of those thoughts that took me back. And, uh, you know, so I still, re- you know, I, that's imprinted in some part of my brain. You know, I've asked God to take it away. Um, when I look at it positively, you know, it, allows me to improve my conscious contact with God. Because when I have the thought, I recognize the thought, God, thank you. Please take that away. Um, Thank you for reminding me how much you love me, how far I've come. I don't have to go out now and act out. Because before, you know, before visually I was trying to store all this stuff, so later I could use it, you know, for my euphoric recall and act out. That's why I was constantly scanning. Um, today, I still scan. Um, I'm not trying to store it, but when I catch myself scanning, I gotta, uh, you know, the, the minute I connect, I'm, I'm good. Anybody else? Yo. I'm Brant. Hey, Brant. Uh, I know uh, someone you may know him, I don't know, uh, who suggested that I do this 10 step. And, um, but there were some other categories that he had expressed to me that you didn't name, or maybe I think I didn't make them up myself, but one I do is gratitude, fear, resentments, 
plus hits, and then highs and lows, and then what I've learned, and what from looking at all the above, how I either how I did apply the program principles to my day, mm -hmm. or how I didn't, and this is the solution that I can do tomorrow, or until I go to sleep, or when I, you know, I usually do it in the morning. Um, and I am definitely not one of those everyday people. I don't think I do anything as I sat here thinking about this, except go to the bathroom, eat, and sleep. Those are the three things I do every single day without fail. <laughs> can't say I always take a shower, can't say I always change my underwear, can't say I always, uh, you know, I can't think of other things that I, I do every single day besides breathe, which I, you know, just happens without trying. But anyway, um, it's been very helpful to me, and, um, but I like what, what I haven't, I've been doing the highs and lows as what's my high of the day, what's my low of the day. And I liked what you shared today specifically um, about the highs of how I worked the program or didn't work the program, there's lows. Because um, gratitude is kind of the highs too, um, but my gratitude is just kind of in general. But um, anyway, I've, I've appreciated that tool. Um, very helpful and then when I do the annual inventory it's really really great and, uh, to go back and look you know these period these patterns that I've had and then also to see the growth and then to see where there's still room to keep you know plugging away and working on stuff um, that I might not you know until I look at it as a totality don't realize um, Oh, yeah, still uh, lusting after this or doing fantasizing about this or losing my temper, presenting my wife on a regular basis. Um, so, anyway, I've, I've, uh, I'm grateful that someone gave me the suggestion to do this. That guy must be really good. He, he, he is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, character defects, um, I list mine, the, the ones I list in my daily prayer when I ask God to help me with them are, is fear. You know, fear is my number one. Everything else I do is a reaction to my fear. So lust, anger, judgmental spirit, people-pleasing, dishonesty, pride, gossip, not being enough, feeling that I'm not enough, um, measuring uh, myself based on my job title, and compare it, par comparing myself with others at work. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a champion of how did that guy or that gal get that job? You've got to be kidding me. Um, I, am a, I am a horrible judge of character. I can remember being in in a uh, therapy group when I first got in, uh, when I first came to Nashville, and there was this guy in our, in, our, um, in our therapy group, and I had him pegged for a shoe salesman. Don't know why. <laughs> this guy was a CEO and a PhD. 
And so I have to remind myself, you know, I am a lousy judge of character. Uh, and, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. But I, I want to do that. Again, it's the threat assessment stuff. You know, I'm constantly sizing people up. That's, that's what I do. So um, every day uh, I, I pray for healing, you know, physical healing. You know, the older I get, the more aches and pains I have. So I, I, I list those. And then I, I ask God to help me with my defects of character. And, uh, um, you know, the, the, the two most powerful are, are lust and anger. And uh, anger is the one that, uh, you know, I swore I wouldn't be like my dad. You know, you know, my dad was a manic depressive. When he got angry, it wasn't anger. It was rage. And it was life-threatening rage. He, would, he, you know, he was capable of doing very nasty things when he was raging. Um, and I, I started experiencing some level of that early on with my kids. And you know, one of the guys in the program got me a book. Um, and uh, since it's uh, not SA-approved uh, material, I won't na- give, give you the name of it. But if you want to talk to me afterwards, I will. But anyway, there are 16 behaviors in that book, that I, that's one of my daily readings. Uh, so when I'm angry, you know, I don't stay. When I get angry, I can't stay. I have to, I have to remove myself from the situation. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I stop talking first. <laughs> I gotta shut up. Yeah. Then, I, then I remove myself from the situation. I can't stare, I can't bang walls. Uh, I can't talk in a mean, mean tone. I can't tell stories about how I told somebody off. You know, those are called hero stories. I can't do that. Uh, the last thing is I don't speed anymore. So I, I really watch, watch the speed limit because that was something that I did um, if I was angry. Um, so that's really helped me in my relationship with my kids. Um, um, now they often see me, when they push my buttons, just shut my mouth and remove myself from the situation, you know, cool off, and then you know, if, I, if I need to re-engage or apologize, usually I have to apologize, because I usually, I, you know, but I'm getting better at it. Um, but uh, you know, the rate stuff, um, I was really surprised by it. And, I, and I've, I've had more compassion for my dad about, about it, too, because I realize you know, he did the best he could. You know, he, he when, when, they, when he was diagnosed with uh, depression in, like, 1961, you know, they were giving guys, my dad took electric shock treatments. Um, he, they doped him up on Librium, which was just horrible. I mean, this guy tried every, you know, he really did try. And he was an alcoholic. He was a sex addict. I mean, he was you know multiply addicted. He tried every way he knew, and so I, I'm able now. You know, he's been gone since 1993. Um, I'm able to have more compassion for him uh, because I realize how quickly it comes. And you know, and I'm I'm still you know I didn't see anger modeled for me. I, I saw rage. So, um, Dave, yeah. Just real quickly, uh, my wife says in her program. It really helps. It really diffuses the anger. It really does. Yeah, Ryan sucks 
Hey, Ron. My name's Tom, Dr. Lestatic. Uh, this may not be a technical question, I apologize, but you mentioned your wife while you're sober. In, in terms of, you know, you're lusting after women, sexualizing them, objectifying them. How did you work through identifying her as the one romantically, true love, whatever, and disclosing to her your condition? Yeah, that, um, you know, that's, um, I've, I've done a series of talks on that, if you like. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no it's uh, I, very quickly. Um, you know, the one thing, when I, when, I, when I started dating, you know, I, I knew I couldn't date triggers. And, uh, you know, I, while I find, found my wife extremely attractive, she wasn't a trigger. And I don't know how to explain that, except that's the way it was. Um, uh, and I and I have to have to say, prior to meeting her, you know, I went out with a lot of women that I would have would have overlooked otherwise, because I was, you know, in my addiction, I was looking for a certain type. And so when I started dating, and I dated for six years um, in sobriety, um, um, you know, I dated with a, a lot of women who, you know. As my my standard, my my sponsor had to set my standard for me. Does she physically repulse you? And if the answer was no, then I then I went out with her. You know, and I I know that sounds really cruel, and but um, you know I was I was looking in a different arena, and I went out with some really nice people, but and they were attractive enough, um, and you know my. My wife came along, and I, I remember that she was wearing a, a red dress the night that I met her, and I spent my whole evening avoid, avoiding looking at her legs. Um, I, I kept my eyes up, and because I was, I was, and she wasn't wearing an overly short. It was just above the knee. I mean, it was a very conservative dress. It was Christmas time. And it was red, and she looks great in red. But I spent the whole night. Avoiding looking at her legs, and and it was she was dressed that I really couldn't physically, you know, she had a a, a nice shape, she was attractive, um, but that's about all I remember from the first time that I saw her. And you know, we spent most of the time sitting around a table, so that was great because I you know, I could just you know focus on conversation with her, and uh, that's the way it worked. You know, I had a, a couple of opportunities. Um, to date people that would have been triggering, and uh, that didn't work out. And you know, we never, I never actually went out with them, and that, that's the way it, it, you know, it just worked out. So it, it like I said, it's hard to explain, but I, I knew if I saw somebody and the bells and whistles went off, then I couldn't. Uh, that that was just obvious. But uh, um, this this just worked out perfectly. And, a uh, year and a half, yeah. We were we dated a year and a half, and we've been married. It'll be twenty years next year. So, was married seven years the first time around. Uh, we only lived together five, and my first two years of recovery, we were separated and still married. And uh, I, you know, I was away from her. So, Ryan. Um, two things real quick is I, I've been making a, a gratitude list of the twenty things. <clears throat> I've been using Word the whole time, so I appreciate the, the customer to see that I need to do that now. Um, the, the, the second thing is uh, uh, 
making the list of the highs and lows and the lust and whatnot. Um, I have a very ritualistic approach to a lot of things in my life. And so my question is, what I, what I end up, or the trap I end up falling into is that if I make that list, I forgot I have to share it with somebody immediately. If I don't share it immediately, then I'm doing something wrong, I'm doing something right or whatever. Yeah. So what, is there a guideline or is there something that you normally do? Yeah, what, what helps me, um, you know, oftentimes it's not until you know, I, I, I write the word hits that you know, something pops into my brain. You know, I, I'll get a flash. Oh, gosh, I, I photographed that woman in the elevator yesterday or walking out. You know, I saw her legs or whatever. And uh, usually that becomes, um, if, it, if it comes back, then I'll pick up the phone and make, make the phone call right away. Generally, you know, I get a lot of calls during the, during the day from people, and uh, I, I'll, I'll share it, you know, when, when that happens, but usually if it's repetitive, then I then I have to cast it out. You know, if I'm if I'm if the the prayer isn't working, then I got to pick up the phone, and uh, that's that's usually how I do it. So, uh, and like I said, it's just amazing to me how frequently I I, I won't even think of anything. I had a pretty good day yesterday, and also Bing, <laughs> you know, there it is. You know, um, and I, you know what I've noticed. I, I'm very ritualistic about that. If Example, if a woman has a nice face or a nice smile, then I want to take in, I want to check out the rest of the package. And, and, I, and there's a certain sequence that I use to do that. I mean, front or back, you know, it's, it's amazing. And so, you know, I've caught myself, you know, you know if I see a smile. Uh, you know, Roy talks about it in, uh, in uh, Recovery Continues, you know, the, the woman handing him the mail that smiles at him and him just wanting to take her hand and, and pull her into him. I mean, that's, to me, that, you know, that really describes my addict. That's, that's what I want to do. You know, it, and it's, it's, when I started thinking that that smile was about me, that's when I'm in trouble, as opposed to that person just being kind and friendly. And, and a lot of people, that's their, you know, the, but when a woman smiles at me, <laughs> you know, it takes on a whole different meaning. You know, I was, as I was preparing this talk, I, I was thinking about, uh, I, walk, I was walking into the airport in San Francisco in 1986. I was, so it was a, about a year sober. I'm in a, a, in a suit, which I felt better about myself when I'm dressed up. It was a power suit. It was a blue pinstripe, but it had a gold tie, you know, the you know, white shirt, gold tie. Felt, I'm in recovery, and I... Fortunately, I had a briefcase in one hand and uh, a suitcase in the other hand, and one of the most attractive women I've ever seen in my entire life walked up to me and said, I've been told to give this, you know, she had a, she had a red boutonniere, uh, a red rose boutonniere. I've been told to give one of these to the, the most attractive guy I, I, I see. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> And she pinned it on me, and she said, would you like to give a $25 donation to the... Uh, she was a Mooney. And she was... And, wow. and, and I, when I realized it wasn't about me, <laughs> I said, I set the briefcase and uh, took off the thing. I said, no, thanks. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and I, I walked off. But for, for a second, I thought, oh, my gosh, here we go. 
It's in San Francisco, of all places. And, you know, and, and that, that happened in 1986, so you know, 29 years ago. And I, I, I remembered her face. I can remember the situation just like it was yesterday. And, uh, you know, I really thought it was about me. But it... What is that movie? Uh, there was uh, Sung Young Moon was a uh, was a cult leader. And he may, I, I don't know back in the eighties. Korean heritage. Yeah. Like yeah. Religious leader. Yeah. Also trying to get the two Koreans to reunite. Yeah. Yeah. And it was you know a lot of things happened in San Francisco. So you know, it, but anyway. It's, <laughs> we. I'm question. Sure. Just about. Uh, you talked out about you started out using the Steno things, and now you use the Excel sheet. I was just curious. Oh no, I still use uh, you know when I do my inventory, uh, the, the Excel spreadsheet is just for my gratitude list. And I still now I've got I've got a new system. <laughs> you know I'm I, I'm I'm in purchasing, and so I get a lot of freebies from my suppliers, and so they they give you these nice uh, small binders, you know. The, like daily planners kind of things. So I've got several years of those now st- stacked up, and I, you know, I, I use, use one of those. And I keep it in my briefcase, and I keep a binder clip on it because I realize you know, if, if somebody just pulled it out of there and started reading, that could be really... You know, I, I'm not real explicit in it. You know, I've, I've developed some code things you know, so I can be explicit enough to me. And I, you know, I wanted to uh, talk about that. I'm going to talk about that later, uh, but... Um, you know, there are some things that come up where I, I feel shame because I've had a thought about a particular person um, or a particular act. And if I feel that shame, uh, I know immediately I have to be very explicit in sharing that with my sponsor. Um, that, is, that, is just, that is just something that... Uh, you know, it, that works for me. And, you know, I try not to be exp- real explicit in meetings, but, you know, when, you know when, I, when I talk at, like, conferences and conventions and things like that, I get these phone calls from all over the place, and people say, well, I, and I, saw this, I saw this picture, and I acted out, and then I did this, and I said, well, tell me, how did you act out? Well, you know, I just acted out, and then I just, you know, no. What did you do when you act? I, I'm... I'm sorry, because if, if you don't tell me, I'm going to make it up in my head. I'm going to visualize what you did. And I'm, you know, 99% of the time I'm wrong, but I don't want to get, I don't want to try to make stuff up. So if you're calling me for help, I'm going to say, hey, I need for you to be explicit about what you did so I can understand, you know, what you're talking about. And it just helps me. And it might help you to be explicit, you know, with your sponsor about, Whatever that was, because you know, I, I you know, I, and I think it's appropriate not to talk about that kind of stuff in meetings, but it is appropriate to talk about it with your sponsor. And my sponsor's really helping with stuff that I felt shame about. I know that I, you know, needed to share with him. So that's really worked for me. I would add to that, and other safe people. Yes, other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I immediately, when I have this thinking, oh, I don't want to tell Harvey that. You know, this guy's been my sponsor for 29, or 20, since October of 2000, or 1989. So what is that, 26 years? 
And there's still stuff, you know, I think he's going to be mad at me or not think. It's just, he's an authority figure. And, and there are times I feel scared. And I, I can't explain that, but that's, it's been, you know, he's been my sponsor for a long time. He's never bitten my head off. He's never told me he doesn't love me or he's going to give up on me. But still that happens. So shall we uh, wrap it up? Shall we uh, close with the Lord's Prayer?